The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Don't think one person said good morning back to me. That's pretty brutal welcoming, isn't it? Good morning. Thank you, brother. Um, that was a long scripture passage, wasn't it? And uh, in the community group that we're a part of, we read it and our, all of our eyes kind of glazed over as we were looking at it. Um, if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to just kind of dive right in. Um, I was studying this week as I was preparing, and I read a very disturbing story about Thomas Jefferson. I'm not much into history, but uh, I do know he was our third president, and that he was pretty well respected. He was on one of the, he was one of the uh, key members of getting the Declaration of Independence signed and passed. And the one thing I read about Thomas Jefferson is that there, he, he, he was a man who struggled mightily with the things of God. And he had a, a difficult time taking what he read in his Bible at face value. And so his solution to this was that he took a razor blade and cut out portions of his Bible. Most notably, some of the things that he cut out were passages that referenced the Trinity, that referenced the ascension of Christ to heaven, that represent the resurrection of Jesus Christ and even the Holy Spirit in general. And so those are basic things that we would all hold to as foundational beliefs in our faith. And so he formed his own book. And it was called uh, something like The Teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's on display, actually, um, in the Smithsonian Museum. But the point is, that's what Paul's addressing in the Corinthian church. Uh, The Corinthians are really doing the same thing. See, last week, Jonathan taught on verses 1 through 11 in chapter 15. And that is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which most of us in here are, A, familiar with, And B, we would affirm as true. Well, the Corinthian church did the same thing. They said, hey, we believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. But what we can't wrap our minds around is that one day we will be raised from the dead. And what I find is, in my own life, things that are either uncomfortable, things that are hard for me to understand as it relates to the character and nature of God, I tend to push to the side or I tend to do what Thomas Jefferson did in an emotional or spiritual sense. And, you know, for me, when I was growing up, I grew up in a church in Charleston. I struggled with thinking about Christ's return because it seemed to intrude on my life. It seemed to intrude as a 12 or 13-year-old. I haven't got to have sex yet. I haven't gone to college, I haven't played high school football, or whatever it is. And I wonder what strikes you guys, because hopefully in in the rhythm of life here at our church body is that we like to read the text or read the verses that we'll be in in the upcoming week so that hopefully the Holy Spirit has time to, to begin to fertilize the soil of our hearts so that when we come together on Sunday that there's fertile ground for the Lord to work in our hearts. 
And so that's what we do in community groups uh, throughout the week is study the text for the upcoming verse. And so I wonder what types of thoughts or ideas or maybe discomfort or anxiety struck us this week as we saw the title, The Resurrection of the Dead. Um, And so this morning I hope that we really do two things in our short time together. And that is, number one, that we understand rightly what the second resurrection is, what the resurrection of the dead is, but more importantly, that we leave encouraged with the greatest hope that a Christian could ever have, and that is that Christ is coming back for us. So um, just being vulnerable with you guys, uh, I've been a little flustered this morning, and so if it's okay, uh, I'd like to pray really more for myself and then for our time together and then we can get going, okay? So would you guys pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning that if we know you, that we are no longer children of wrath, but that you have set your love towards us that we are under your grace and your mercy and not your anger. We join with other saints and believers across the planet today celebrating in a corporate setting your love for us, your provision and care for us, And today, especially, celebrating our future hope with you. So we pray that the preaching would be clear. Lord, that I would serve them well. That we would leave not feeling in bondage to your word, but freed because of your word. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. Amen. <clears throat> we were having dinner with uh, the Letsons last night, and I was telling them that my greatest fear in speaking is um, I drink a ton of water. I probably drink about 100 ounces a day, and I go to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> and my greatest fear is that I'll drink water up here, and because if I have to go, I cannot hold it. And I, I, I mean that 100%, I cannot hold it. And so I do have a fear that I'll, so this is like my fourth sip of water all morning. I'm so thirsty, but I don't want to get up here and have to go to the bathroom. So God has not allowed that to happen yet, and I really am thankful for that. <clears throat> so last week, Jonathan really did serve us well. He told us the truth about Jesus, the truth about salvation and the truth about grace. And so we've really journeyed through, and if you think about it, since September we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I was, I was talking with Randy, I believe it was probably a couple weeks ago, and you think about this, and, and this is God's design. It's so wonderful that as you're a member of a local church over a, a season, whether it's for years or months, we walk through books of the Bible together. And so at the end of three years, five years, ten years, we have searched and studied a significant portion of God's word together. That's an amazing thing. You know, we live in such an immediate gratification society, 
and um, that particularly is difficult for me, that the, the journey of walking with Christ with a group of believers is something that's really, really unique. You know, we've already gone through the book of Nehemiah. Um, we've gone through, help me, Ephesians, Mark. Is there one other? First Corinthians. And so it's a neat thing as, as we wind down this book and we see a ton of different things. But most notably, so the Corinthian church, imagine this. Imagine living in a city like Corinth, which, which is at the crux of, of, a, of really a couple of cultures coming together. And it, it was, for all intents and purposes, a very um, sinful city. And there was a, it wasn't hard to find sin in the city of Corinth. And so Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, comes and he plants a church here. And so these folks, these Corinthians, are hearing the gospel for the first time like Ever. Jesus Christ had never been risen from the dead before. I mean, this is all brand new, breaking news. And so you can imagine growing up in Greek and Roman culture where there's Greek mythology, there's thousands of gods, and then they see the Jewish culture to hear something completely, really counterintuitive to both of those things when the gospel is shared. You know, I, if it wasn't for uh, YouTube, I wouldn't know how to tie a tie. I wouldn't know how to... Uh, tie a bow tie for sure but I think about how many things I hear for the first time or see for the first time and I immediately forget and I have to go back and visit you so obviously there was no YouTube in Corinth when Paul's preaching but you can imagine they hear this news for the first time that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead that he died for their sins that he purchased their position before a holy and righteous God and then he leaves and so you could imagine some of the questions that they may have had. And so in chapter 7, verse 1, we see that the Corinthian church actually wrote a letter to Paul asking him about some of these questions that they had. And so in chapter 14, we just finished talking about orderly worship, prophecy in tongues. And now in chapter 15, Paul says, okay, let's talk about the resurrection of Christ. Verses 1 through 11, he spends just laying a logical foundation for why the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real, factual, historical event. And Jonathan brought us through those verses last week. Well, the, the difficulty with the Corinthians was they said, okay, we can amen that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. But to think that we will one day be dead and then raised up again feels a little freaky. And we can't participate in believing that. And so Paul, as we'll see this morning, in these verses, he walks them through why if you affirm the resurrection of Christ, by nature, you have to affirm that one day as believers, we will be raised from the dead as well. And if you don't affirm that one day as believers, we will be raised from the dead, then you are in fact negating that Christ was ever raised from the dead. And so he takes a, a strand of God's sovereignty and God's provision and laces it right through the middle and ties them both together. So as we get into our verses, let's, will you guys turn with me to um, the book of 1 Thessalonians? So if we're in Corinthians, we can take a right, a couple books over, and this is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This describes in very clear terms what, in fact, the resurrection of the dead is actually is. It's 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And this is the most important verse of that entire set of verses, and that's verse number 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, Hopefully that gives us an accurate definition of what the resurrection of the dead is. And so in our time this morning, I want us to look specifically at three implications or three reasons that Paul outlines in these verses as to why the resurrection of Christ being true, how that would affect us as Christian believers. In the very first part of 1 Corinthians 15... Verses 12 through 19. Paul plays devil's advocate with him. And I I can't help but think he's probably being a little sarcastic too. And he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he lists six things that, okay, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and the resurrection of the dead's not true, here's what that means to you church in Corinth. In verse 14 we see that means that our preaching is in vain. You know, Paul is sharing the gospel. If you'll remember back earlier in the letter, Paul says, um, I preached, Apollos watered, but only God can make it grow. And so you see that Paul is teaching God's word to other faithful men, and they're teaching God's word, and it's reciprocating. And so Paul says, first of all, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, and one day our hope as believers is that we're not raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. It's for naught. And then we see later on in the verse that our faith is in vain as well. And I'm going to blow through these ones pretty quick. Verse 15, we misrepresent God by telling others that God raised Jesus from the dead because Acts 2.24 says that God raised Christ from the dead and loosed the pangs of death because they could not hold him. And so if we proclaim that There is no resurrection of the dead. We are, in fact, proclaiming falsely about the character of God. Now, track with me. I know this can get a little wordy. Verse 17, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are still dead in our sins. That's pretty heavy. We are still dead in our sins. You know, I've lost um, my grandmother and my aunt this year. And um, verse 18 strikes me particularly because it says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then those who died perished in vain. So think about the loved ones who you watched serve and love Christ throughout their lives. If this isn't real, if this isn't true, then 
They've died into nothingness. There is no hope. And finally, verse 19, which is probably the worst of all. If Christ Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we Christians of all are most to be pitied. Think about the life that God calls us to live. A life of sacrifice, of service, giving our time, giving our finances as um, we look at folks in India even. If this isn't real, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, this is a pretty lousy life to be living if there's no hope at the end. And so Paul, after sarcastically playing devil's advocate, this is one of the greatest transition verses in our Bible. So please look with me there. It's verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's really what our faith hinges on, isn't it? So point number one, we see in verses 20 through 22, and we're going to go through three specific points. But in fact, because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have salvation. We see that in verses 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, when Adam was in the garden and he sinned, he represented all of us. And if you're like me, at some point in the back of your mind, you've probably thought, well, I don't know if I would have done it that way. The truth is, yes, you would have. So would I have. And so Adam was what the, the Bible teaches us as a representation of all mankind. And the, the best way I've heard it described is Adam representing us was a lot like uh, when you play a team sport and one player commits a foul. Well, the whole team gets penalized, right? So in the same way, all of mankind was penalized because of Adam's sin. And so we have a major problem here that now we are all sinful. From birth, that's what God's word teaches. And so when he says that in Adam all die, but in Christ all live... You see, Jesus Christ came to save us from our sinful connection with Adam. And that's why he's referred to as the second Adam, Christ is, or the greater Adam. You know, how much time, I wonder, just wondering, do we spend thinking about what God saved us from? I don't spend very much time thinking about it. Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22 says that we were once alienated from God. Hostile in nature, in deed, and in mind towards the things of God. So if you think, if you think about our position before God was this. That his righteous 
and holy anger burned towards us. It, it hung over our heads as if a cloud of darkness was over us. And that our very thoughts, our very actions infuriated God's anger and stirred his wrath and his righteous judgment towards us. And we deserved it. That the very way we carried ourselves went against everything that a holy and righteous God stands for. And if Christ would not have come, that would still be our position today. I was reading this week and um, I spent some time in 1 Thessalonians, even though we're in Corinthians. Verse 9, this is a wonderful verse. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Friends, this morning, if you are in Christ, there is great news. His wrath does not burn against you any longer. Your payment has been paid. You have been purchased. His position and his disposition towards you is of deep and unending pleasure and satisfaction. You no longer have a holy and righteous wrath set against you. Punishment and eternal damnation was on all of our schedule. But it isn't anymore. If you are in Christ this morning, you have been destined to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. I heard one amen in the back. I probably shared a couple more on that one. That is great news for us. That is really, really good news. Jesus has set his love towards you this morning if you are in him. Be encouraged with that. The love of Christ is set immovably towards you. And it's because of Christ's resurrection that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Point number two. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Therefore, we have a king who rules actively. And I'm going to read starting in verses um, 25 just to reference that. So you guys don't think I'm making this up. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. I'll stop there. So think about this. Jesus Christ is crucified on the cross. And at the moment where he says it is finished... It's as if the, the, the galaxies are quiet. The king has been slain. The angels, the hosts of heaven, 
Everyone is silent at the crucifixion of our Lord. And we see, and Paul is begging the Corinthian church to remember this. And we get a glimpse of this in Daniel chapter 7. It's Daniel's prophecy of what it would be like one day when Jesus Christ would be welcomed back to heaven after purchasing his people. After creating a whole new race by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Daniel foretells of what it must be like one day when Christ, who is the champion of heaven, is welcomed back. And we see that, and you, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to read later, Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hebrews uh, chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that when God put all things under Christ's foot, that he left nothing out of his control. So why, sh why should that matter to us? That the king who gave us salvation is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning on our behalf. You see, Christ's kingdom is in effect today. And he's expanding his kingdom through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And he sits next to the Father. And Psalm 110 tells us that he has a, a mighty scepter in which he rules from the holy city of Zion. Well, why should that matter to us? Why did that matter to the Corinthian church? Well, I think we have to go back and look at Job chapter 1. Some of you are familiar with that story where Job is a wealthy man and he has God's tangible and physical blessings on his life. And we see Satan approach the throne of God and ask to bring harm and destruction to Job's life. And so the, the understanding there is that Satan, even in his evil, even in his progressive army of evil today is subject to the reign of Jesus Christ. There is no evil, there is no horrible thing that any of us have endured that is outside of the reign, the control, and the submission of Jesus Christ. And that should be a very very freeing thing. To the church in Corinth, specifically, I have to believe that the reason Paul reminds them that their king is on the throne is because many of them who are reading will suffer very, very greatly to see the gospel go forward. And I'm looking out here today, and, you know, in a church this size, we're pretty an intimate group. We, we know each other pretty well. 
And I know some of the sufferings that each of you have dealt with and are dealing with. The disease, marriage, hopelessness, jobs. And I hope you're encouraged this morning to know that even though Satan stands at the throne of God, we see this in Revelation 12, and he says he accuses the brethren day and night, that he still is subject to the rule of Jesus Christ. And that whatever you are feeling, whatever you are dealing with, whatever hurt that has been brought against you, please be encouraged that it still falls under King Jesus' rule. And if you know Him and He knows you, that's a really, really, really restful place to be. I, uh, I enjoy rap music a lot. And particularly, I grew up actually in an inner city school. And so I, I grew up listening to it. And so when I came to faith, uh, I, I really enjoyed Christian rap music. And one of my favorite Christian rap artists has a, I was listening to it this week, and he's got a line, and I'm going to read it to you, that really just touched my heart as it relates to this point. And it says, Jesus will keep his treasure through the roughest seas and weather that he would bleed for our deeds, intercedes, guarantees indeed we'll be together. We can't conceive the measure of the heaps of pleasure. See, whatever we think it's even better, Jesus, he's our priest forever. You know, this earth, our bodies, our circumstances will certainly pass away. But there is a time coming when Jesus will come back and make all things right. And that brings me to point number three. We're going to start to wrap up. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We have the greatest hope of all. As 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. This has been the hope of every Christian before us. You see, if the gospel stops at Christ being resurrected from the dead, it's a really good story, but it gives us no hope. The hope that every Christian before us has had is that Jesus Christ one day will say, enough. And he will come back and he will make right all of our wrongs. He will bring justice to every injustice. He will heal every pain, every hurt, every sin, every suffering that we have endured. And He is coming back for us to make all things right, to reverse the curse that Adam, on our behalf, brought into the world. I think back even to Six months ago, 
when brothers in the faith in Egypt were beheaded because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I have to think um, that as they... um, I'm sorry. As they stood, as they sat there on the sandy beaches and they were going to be beheaded because of their faith, that they had to look to heaven and know that one day Jesus will come back and make this right. Revelation 21, verse 3 through 5. Please, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Hear these verses. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. This, I mean, this is this is the mountaintop of our faith. This is it. This is the apex of our hope. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write down this, for these words are trustworthy and true. You know, for me, for a long time, Verses like that used to, um, like I mentioned, give me anxiety. And I don't really know why. But they're meant to give us great hope. You see, there's a, there's a time coming when Christ will return and he will come back and ransom, finally, his people and bring us to our place to live with him. And it says in Corinthians that when we see him, we will be like him. And there is a joy and an unspeakable level of satisfaction that we will feel when we are in the presence of God. Next week, Dale's going to serve us by talking about the resurrection body. And the point is that our bodies cannot contain today the joy that we will feel when we are with him. Because we will see him for who he is. And that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will join with every saint who's lived before us and with all of creation. And we will sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the earth is filled with his glory. And I cheapen that by thinking that my hope lies in an NBA basketball game tomorrow night or in a paycheck from a particular company or in sex, in marriage, in performance, in anything But every Christian who has ever lived before us, their hope was that Jesus Christ would come back for them, that he would make all things right, 
that he would take them and he would live with them forever. Can we, let's just praise God for that this morning. That we have a hope that we're not going to be left on the side of the road that our God gives us salvation, that he is ruling and reigning on our behalf, and that he's coming back for us one day. And anything and everything may be taken from you in this life, may be taken from me, but Jesus will never be taken from you. It has been sealed. We go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You have been destined to obtain salvation, not wrath. And so, this morning my aim is not that we feel the weight of our inadequacies or the weight of our current circumstances, disease, sufferings, but that we see and we hope in the future glory that Christ has for us. And that is to just be with him. And I promise you, it is better than anything you could pretend to enjoy today. And so this morning, if you are a Christian, my question is, what has been your hope? Has it been that Christ will come back for you? And that you will live with him forever? Maybe you're struggling this morning and your, your knees feel really weak or you don't maybe have any courage or you have been particularly beat down. What is your hope this morning? And inevitably, I have to believe that there are some of us in here or listening or will listen that don't know Christ. And my question to you is the exact same. What then is your hope? Is this life as good as it gets for you? I would beg you. I would plead with you to trust Christ. To trust the salvation that has come through his life and his death and his resurrection. I would beg you to trust on the hope that one day we will live with him forever. And so particularly to the members, and um, Josh, you guys can start coming up here. I'm wrapping up. Particularly to the members of DOXA, please, 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 be encouraged this morning. I have been ministered to personally by many of you that in moments when I can't believe that these truths, that my salvation is secure in Christ, that he does sit on the throne despite what I think and what I feel and what circumstances happen to me, and that he is coming back to make all things right, I forget that. And I have been personally ministered to and loved on by many of you. 
And so please continue to encourage one another with these truths and with the truth that our hope is not in this world, but our hope is in the world to come with Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, there are so many different stories here in this room right now. Many that I know and even more that I don't know. You have providentially designed that each of us would be here today. I pray that you would minister to our hearts in these moments. That we would spend time reflecting and repenting. I know I've had to repent even this morning for where my hope is found. As we scatter from this place today and the world tells us that our hope is found everywhere else. Would you be with us? Would you secure the words of 1 Corinthians 15 in our hearts? That we would know today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day that you alone are our only hope. We beg these things of you in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.